The following program contains coarse language, a lot like real life. Viewer discretion is advised. Ladies and gentlemen, boils and ghouls, creatures of the night, this is the Face for Horror podcast. My name is Chris, but you can call me Moon. And tonight we're going to talk about 1984's classic, A Nightmare on Elm Street. So, um, my relationship with this movie, I saw this movie pretty much about the time it came out. Um, I didn't see it in the theater. I was too young for that. But I did see it when it hit cable uh, pretty sh- pretty shortly there afterwards. Um, and I got to say, it creeped me out at the time. Um, I've got some issues with it nowadays. There are certain things of it that I'm not super crazy about. Um, of the four initial entries into the big four franchises, this one kind of swaps places depending on my mood and depending on what's going on um between either three or four um it's it's always behind texas chainsaw massacre and it's always behind the first friday the 13th which if you watch that show or listen to that show you'll know that that's a lot of nostalgia for me on that one that one is um kind of a big deal for me that's my favorite franchise and this one swaps places between three and four between this one and halloween there are times where I like Halloween better, and then there are times that I like this one better. Um, 100% I like Freddy better than I like Michael. Um, the villain in this one is awesome. Uh, interesting little thing um, until the internet came around and and Facebook horror groups and, and talking with people like that. I always assumed because everybody that I knew growing up who saw it always assumed the that Freddy was more than just a child killer. Come to find out, a lot of people just take the what's said in the movie at face value and don't read into the subtext. Um, everybody involved with the movie said that that was the original intent, uh, but there was some things that happened right around that time that. They took that element back out from the script directly and put it back in as subtext. It was always intended to be there. Um, But you were supposed to read that on your own. And it's funny how people don't. Um, I always did. Everybody that I knew always did. Um, This movie was um, directed by Wes Craven. Um, It's one of... One of his best movies for me. Um, I'm I'm not a huge Craven fan. Uh, I love The Hills Have Eyes. I like Last House on the Left. Um, there are a few others later on that I really enjoy. Um, but there's also a lot of them later on that I really don't enjoy. Um, have mixed feelings about some of them, and then there's also just a lot of them that are just just not. Just don't hit for me. Um, so this one, um, I just recently rewatched the um, behind the scenes, the um, Never Sleep Again documentary. Um, at least on the first few, I didn't make it through the whole four hours, but I did watch the first few, um, and it's kind of an interesting thing. This was a New Line Cinema movie. 
Um, New Line before this had only done a couple of very low budget um, movies. They really hadn't produced much. They were mostly um, a distributor. They they really hadn't hadn't done a whole lot as far as making movies. Um, and Wes Craven came around with this script idea and it took a chance on him. Uh, they financed the movie for, I think the budget at the time was a little under two mil, um, which was, which is a very low budget movie even for its day. Uh, it doesn't look it. That's one thing you'll, that I can say about this one. This movie does not look like it has as low a budget as it has. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about it is the most of the effects and most of the effects still hold up. There are a couple that are kind of that were one or two were misses in in the original the first time I saw it way back when, but there are a couple of them that do not hold up now. But um, so New Line took a chance on him when everybody else had turned him down. Um, he had originally wanted to partner with. Uh, uh, with Cunningham, who had done uh, Friday the 13th. And um, they didn't think that it would be scary enough. They thought that somebody in your dreams wouldn't frighten you. Good evening, Miss Jen. Uh, Jen says she can't stay too long in the comments tonight. That's all right, Jen. We love you anyway, and we're glad you made it in at least... Uh, for whatever time you can stick around for, sweetie. Um, so, lost my train of thought. Um, so, he went to Cunningham. Cunningham said that it wouldn't be scary. It was somebody in your dreams. You'd just wake up. Um, the fact that um, Craven based it on a couple of uh, new real news stories that were... Um, Asian uh, immigrant um, young kid uh, said that there was a monster in his dream that was going to kill him if he went back to if he went to sleep. Um, his father was a um, was a doctor and gave him sleeping pills. Um, it went on for like five days or something like that um, that the kid didn't sleep. He finally did fall asleep, and when he did, they found out that he had a coffee maker hidden in his closet and that he had been spitting out or um, that the pills hadn't stayed down uh, depending on what era you talk, you uh, uh, see an interview with Wes Craven. Um, but, uh, and then when he finally did go to sleep, he did die in his sleep, um, screaming and yelling that something was after him and it, he ended up, the kid ended up dying in his sleep. And that's what Wes Craven based this idea on. Uh, there was a couple of different things that, that Craven's done, did over the years that um, were based at least loosely on, on, um, on real life events or, or at least inspired by them. Um, so the movie kind of starts off with, um, a young blonde girl who would, in most other movies, would probably be your final girl. Um, very much has that classic 80s final girl look to her. 
um, her name is Tina, and starts off with a dream sequence. Now, one of the elements in this first dream sequence is one that it didn't work for me at the time. I know it did for a lot of people, but it surely doesn't hold up. And that's the extended, um, the extended marionette arms. Um, didn't work for me then, and it's laughable if I watch it now. Um, and I'm actually sitting and really watching it. It, it literally does crack me up. Um, so you get, well, you actually you start the movie for the credit for the um, title sequence. You get Freddie in the basement building the glove. Which is something that a lot of people forget about, um, and and I did for a while. Uh, it was um, one of those things that nobody really talked about way back when, and it didn't start until, I guess, again the early internet days when people were talking about there was people talking about how creepy that scene was, and how that built tension to start with. Um, one of the, the clips with Robert England talks about when he put first put the glove on and realized how uh, him being a small person, um, fairly light built, and not really necessarily tall, but not overly short. I think he's like five seven, five eight, something in that neighborhood. Just just a hair short for for a guy. Um, but he realized that how heavy it was and how it made him kind of drop his shoulder um and when he realized that he first corrected it and walked kind of straight with it and you'll notice that in some of the sequences he's standing up very straight and very rigid um but as the the franchise went on especially but in also in several of the scenes you can tell were later filmed in this or filmed later when they were making this one um his arms kind of when he's not got the glove up and talking with it or you know menacing with it um it hangs really low and that shoulder drops and he said that what he did was when he he embraced that and the weight of it um he looked at old he thought about old movies from the 50s and 60s and the way that the uh gunfighters carried themselves the both physical and mental weight of that um of the gun and the lives that it would take and had taken um, hanging on these gunfighters' sides. And he put that kind of psychologically into the character. Um, interestingly enough, as, as iconic as, Fred, as Robert England is as Freddy, he actually wasn't the first choice. In fact, he actually wasn't even the second choice. Um, they was originally cast um, an older gentleman, uh, and I don't remember his name. Um, they don't really talk about him very much, but they had. Uh, but it didn't really work out with the makeup tests um, for the old man version of Freddy, so they switched over um, to David Warner, uh, who had been has been in so many things. Great character actor. Um, my personal favorite role with him, and I know a lot of people, it's going to be um, time after time. But for me, I love him in, as the villain in Waxworks. He is so camp and so fun in the in Waxworks that that's my favorite role with him. Um, 
but unfortunately due to uh scheduling conflicts things that they thought were going to be able to be um things that he were thought it was he was going to be able to take care of uh didn't get taken care of and the project that he was working on ran along so they ended up looking for another person and they called in robert england um Robert was fresh off of the uh, V miniseries, um, which is a, a miniseries that I loved. I loved that when I was a kid. Um, and I still like, actually, I like both of them. Um, haven't been back to revisit the series in many, many years. So I can't really say too much about that. But I love both of the miniseries. Um, Especially the second one. Michael Ironside was really good in that one. Um, but so they took Robert England, um, and Robert England brought a dark sense of humor um to the role. Um the, there were one liners to an extent. Uh the script as far as the that goes was pretty much about the same. Um, but Robert brought kind of a glee to it, um, and they decided to go with that portrayal of it. Uh, Freddie, Robert England's Freddie relished the torturing the kids and including verbally torturing the kids. Um, so you have Tina wakes up from the dream and, um, then you meet our scooby gang of characters um you have tina who is the um quintessential final girl look you have nancy who's the kind of um somewhat reminiscent of laurie strode she's kind of bookish um but not but not by any means downplayed um she's just kind of your average girl next door um then you meet glenn played by johnny depp um in his first acting role um and you get the one of two characters that i'm not really crazy about um the way that they're portrayed um i don't think that the rod character i don't think the actor that played him did a very good job um i don't like the way that that character is written uh, I think it's very much a, it, it was okay in its day, but it just doesn't hold up now. It feels very, um, very much like a bad John Travolta impression at times, um, especially Welcome Back Cotter era John Travolta. Um, and, and it just doesn't really hold up to me at all. Um. Like I said, never been super fond of it, but it sure didn't age well. Um, so Tina tells everybody that she had a bad dream and wants wants um everybody to come over and stay with her uh, in case it happens again. You get some lighter moments and some interactions. Um, Rod kind of scares everybody by using a garden trout or not the trowel, but it's the the little claw thing that you break up dirt with um you know drags it across something and scares them all you know very reminiscent of all of their dreams um 
So you get to our first kill. Um, after all the little interpersonal stuff. Um, and they used a room that, um, uh, or they used a version of uh, a room like they had used in a Fred Astaire movie, uh, where he had, where Fred Astaire had been dancing up the walls and on the ceiling and all. Um, and uh, <laughs> another New Line uh, movie from the same year also used it, um, which was uh, Breaking Two. Um, but they used it in this one to do a very awesome practical effect of um, Tina being drug up the wall and killed on the ceiling. Um, and her body drops from the ceiling all slashed up uh, onto the bed and the MP2A made them cut out um, anything after that. So there's a kind of a weird cut in there. Um, and unfortunately, the footage apparently has been lost. Uh, but actually, there was a pool of blood, and when she drops onto it, it splatters. You actually see it hit Rod in the face. Um, but unfortunately, like I said, that was, according to um, according to Bob Shea in that Never Sleep Again interview, that was lost footage. Um, so... That'll never see the light of day. Unfortunately, it was probably thrown in the trash or whatever. Um, but, and of course, Rod's blamed for it because he was in a locked room with her. Logically speaking, you can understand that. You know, we've, we saw what was going on. We know what the deal is. But in reality, would anybody believe that, you know, it was, it was a dream killer? So, um, they, you, in this case, and we get to meet um, Heather Langenkamp, who plays Nancy. We get to meet her dad, uh, played by the great John Saxon. Um, John Saxon has has such a career in both high-end movies as well as B-movies. Um, one of those, one of those just knows everybody and been and acted with everybody and been in everything kind of actors um and embraced the b movie and lower budget movie uh life when it got towards the uh latter part of his career and was a a character actor who just kept acting um we have a lot of great movies with him in it and you know not, there's not a whole lot you can say about him. Um, you also get to meet Tina's mother, or Nancy's mother. Um, I actually met Tina's mother in the very beginning. Um, but uh, Tina's mother is played by Ronnie Blakely. This is a performance that I know she won some awards and and had worked uh, and had a pretty pretty solid career as a musician as well but that was a performance that that i won't say that i didn't like her in way back when when i saw her um but over the years i just really don't care for her performance at all i don't think she does a good job with it um so 
Um, yeah, lost my train of thought again. Um, so you get to meet them. You find out that they're estranged. Go. Uh, she takes Nancy back home. Um, find out that she's an alcoholic. Um, and Nancy goes to school the next day, and then you where you get some of to me what is the creepiest moments in this in the film um nancy of course didn't sleep so she dozes off in class um and you get the uh infamous shakespeare reading that goes from being um at a normal level to this quiet whisper um that's kind of kind of drawn out kind of slow um really kind of it does let you know it does kind of tell you that she's dreaming but it does it in a way that doesn't really break the tension so it's not or it actually kind of ramps up the uh, ramps up the tension in, in a certain way um but uh nancy looks out into the hallway and sees tina in a body bag um and then is drug off um and of course gets up to go and investigate as you as you do in horror movies um bumps into the hall monitor um which is a great jump scare um and not only is it a great jump scare in and of itself again it doesn't take you out of the suspense um of course the um famous line you know where's your hall pass through your hall pass and then freddie's voice coming out of the um hall monitor you know no running in the halls um and nancy follows the trail from the body bag down into the um boiler room of the school um and and again this is some really nice tension some really well-built suspense um and you really do think that freddie's about to um to get her and she burns her arm on one of the pipes and wakes herself up um and i can't remember if rod happens before i think it does i think she's dreaming that later on and rod sees rod in the jail cell um and they um uh freddie in the dream hangs rod um I, I like this sequence um in retrospect you can kind of see the um the fact that the bed sheet wrapping around his neck is filmed in reverse um there it's kind of twitchy and and not real smooth um in doing so but um it, it it works for what it is uh it's a little bit weird but you know and the setup for it's a little bit weird um but um so nancy wakes sees that wakes up goes to the police station um gets the guard to go in and look and by that time of course rod's hung himself quote unquote uh or freddie's actually hung him but um and so now rod's dead and um nancy's mother takes her to a dream clinic 
Well, it takes her to a sleep clinic um, to study her dreams and, and all of that. Um, you get kind of, there's kind of an interesting little cameo. Uh, well, not really a cameo, kind of a before they were famous um, little bit. Uh, the doctor who is um, running the sleep clinic is played by Charles Fleischer. Um, Charles Fleischer would go on to be the voice of Roger Rabbit. Um, which is kind of a weird thing, but you know, he at the time he was a stand up comedian, um, and didn't really do a lot of acting. It was he was mostly, um, just kind of a weird one off, um, and kind of a weird thing that, that you know, weird tie in there. Um, so in, in the dream clinic, she's attacked. Her dream goes off the scale for what um, for what a dream would normally be, um, or for what a nightmare would normally be on their um, on their meter, um, and um, manages to pull the um, pull a hat out of her dream. Um, pulls a hat trick. No, uh, she pulls a hat out of her dream with her and. In inside the hat, there's a label that says Fred Krueger on it. Um, she shows her mother, and uh, of course, she doesn't believe her. She thinks that she had it on her the whole time. Um, but the reason that she doesn't believe her is because of the fact that um, she takes her home and gives her a good heaping helping of exposition. It turns out that um, Fred Krueger um, was someone that all the parents in the neighborhood got together and killed because when he was alive, he was a child killer, molester. Um, and um, they screwed up when they arrested him. Um, and all the evidence was inadmissible. He got off scot-free. So all the parents got together in a um, neighborhood vigilante party and went and killed him themselves. They burned him alive in his boiler room, um, and for some god-awful reason, um, Nancy's mother kept the glove. Um, souvenir. I don't. I don't know. Um, it's one of those. It's one of those movie things that. And, and it never really comes back. It, it it could have been an interesting thing if Nancy had worn that one against Freddie with his. But um, we get um, some scenes with her and Glenn. Um, and you find out that Nancy is kind of, as I said earlier, kind not only kind of bookish, but is very bookish. Um, she goes and she gets a... Um, a book from her library that is uh, improvised weapons and booby traps. Um, Wes Craven was actually in the military, and that was one of those books that was required reading. Um, and so he used it in this. Um, not all of the traps that are in it are, of course, that are in the movie um, actually came from it. In fact, only just the light bulb. Um, with the shotgun shell is the only thing that actually came from it. The hammer and the trip wires 
and and all of that um were actually just um the special effects department came up with those ideas um the um kind of a um a goof on it is she's talking to glenn about this and she's standing on a bridge um and if you actually look up into the skyline behind them even though they're supposed to be in uh springfield illinois there actually is a um a spring wood i said spring yeah anyway they're, they're supposed to be in illinois and there's actually palm trees in the background um a lot of people point that out i i, I personally didn't notice it um back in the day i didn't um i don't think i ever actually would have noticed it if somebody hadn't if i hadn't read it somewhere but um because i'm not one of those people who really watches for that sort of thing i'm not looking for um i don't look for continuity issues uh so when i find them uh it really does take me out of things um and like i said that's not one that i found um but now it's in your head if you had noticed it before the next time you watch it you'll notice it um but um when Nancy gets home, she finds out that her mother has put uh, torn down the rose trellis that Glenn was using to climb up the side of the house to get into their into her room, uh, and has put bars on the outsides of all the windows, um, and the front door um, the deadbolt was changed to a um, to an inside key instead of a thumb instead of a, a thumb bolt. Um, so. Nancy, mother goes to bed. She's drunk as usual and probably drunker than usual. Um, and Nancy um, hatches a plan to have Glenn um, come and wake her up, and she's going to bring Freddie out of the dream the way she brought the hat out of the dream. Um, and she calls Glenn um and you know makes a whole big deal about um just coming come out here bring your bat and you know when I bring him out of the dream help me with it um but unfortunately Glenn falls asleep famous line don't fall asleep well Glenn fell asleep um kind of a, a fun gag um on it uh, again they use the um, rotating room um, Glenn gets pulled down into the bed and they flip the room upside down and dumped uh, like 20 gallons or something like that of um, uh, of uh, watered down blood through the hole in the mattress with the room upside down uh, one of the behind the scenes things on that one is um, that as soon as the as soon as the uh, blood hit the um, light fixture that the center of the room light fixture, it shorted out and actually zapped the crap out of the guy who was pouring the liquid in. Um, uh, and of course, then he just dumps it in even harder. It actually. Um, the water uh the weight of it 
of the blood um, ended up kind of going to one side of it, sloshing to one side of it when he did that. And um, it was a, it wasn't like on a motor or anything. It was actually a big wheel on the side of it that they had turned by hand and it actually got away from the, um, uh, the guy, the special effects team that was supposed to be holding it upside down. So the room ends up spinning, um, and spun pretty quick. And if you, if you watch that scene, you can see where the blood just kind of flows up the wall and there's these, uh, long tendrils of it. That's because the room is rotating. Um, and then because the room went all the way around instead of just going 180 degrees, um, it pulled out a bunch of uh, wires and um, ended up leaving uh, the, because the, the scene had to be shot upside down so that it looked like the blood was coming out of the bed and up to the ceiling. Um, so it goes all the way around and ends up like that. And Wes Craven was strapped into the, was doing the cinematography for that scene himself. So he ends up strapped upside down into the camera chair um, and with no electricity in, in there and no way to turn it back on for like 20 minutes because the way that it blew everything out. Um, and the window in the side of the bedroom, um, when it flipped around, all the blood went out of that. So the four guys that were on the sides turning the wheel ended up just completely drenched from head to toe um, in fake blood. So um, <clears throat> I know it's a very commonly known um, behind the scenes thing, but I always found it somewhat amusing. Uh, and it was, like I said, I watched the Never Sleep Again, and that was one of the things that they all laughed about, um, had a good time with. Um, another thing that I found really interesting is that as far as the cast went, um, Wes Craven ran an open set. So even when Tina's filming was done, was done for the Tina character, the actress came back to the set several times, um, hung out with, with Nancy, um, hung out with some of the crew members, um, even helped with some of the standing in and, when they were doing the lighting setups and and whatever else things that they could do she came back quite a bit um and the guy who played rod also did um not quite as much he had some substance issues at the time so uh and he fully admits that and uh thankfully he's clean and sober now so um but he did come back a couple of times they said and um I, I thought that was kind of interesting that they had enough camaraderie on the set and had enough um, friendship between the uh, cast that they would um, come back and help out some um, on their own time of their own choice. Um, it's always nice when, when you can make friends like that. Um, so, kills off Glenn um you get the bit with the phone um which is another one of those things that that heather langenkamp really wanted that prop um one of those old um princess phones or dolly phones depending on where you where you live and or where you're from 
what you would call that, but um, it, the bottom half of it was replaced with a f mouth and tongue so that it could be Freddy. Um, and uh, she tried really hard to get that prop, and they tried hard to get it for her, but it never quite got there and got lost somewhere along the way. So, um, but she sets up the um, the traps and goes to sleep with an alarm set so that she can pull Freddy out. Um, and and she does. She goes into the dream. And she, quote-unquote, pulls Freddy out into the real world. Um, and then this movie kind of, kind of goes really good and really bad at the same time. Um, it's really cool. I like the way that it's done. I like the pacing of it. Um, but the traps seem a little, a little cartoonish. Um, Freddy jumps out from behind the bed in a jump scare that does not work at all. Um, watching Robert try to run um, with that heavy-ass glove on, and again, him being a smaller person, um, is pretty comical. And it didn't take me out of it the first few times that I saw it way back in the day, but but once you see it, it, it's, it really does kind of take you out of it, uh, or it does me anyway. Um, of course, he falls for the traps. He gets shot with the um, exploding light bulb. He gets hit in the gut with the sledgehammer, um, the tripwire, all of that. Um, and, and like I said, the pacing on it's good, but it's it's not great. And then we get to to um, the stairwell. Nancy's going up the steps um, to go upstairs and um, is stepping through the step into some goo. Um, this is one of those things that, that really creeped me out as a kid and and because of what it was. Um, and now looking at it, it kind of creeps me out because of the texture of it. Um, uh, Bisquick and oatmeal, apparently. Um, left to sit out and get good and thick and sticky um and it's it's a texture thing it, it really kind of makes my teeth itch um I, I don't really care for that one but for a whole different reason um you get upstairs and john saxon finally breaks down the door and comes in to rescue her she's been screaming out the window um uh, and um, you get up there just in time to see um, Freddy kind of uh, drag mom, um, Nancy's mother char mother's character um, into the into a light up bed. It this this sequence is really This is the reason that this one is my second favorite in this franchise behind three, because I I really get lost here. Um, the effects do not stand up. Um, it looks it looks like neon tubes underneath the sheet, and, you, and pulling it down, it just 
I, I understand the emotional impact and I can see the emotional impact and Heather Langenkamp plays that very well. Um, nah, it's, it's just one of those things that's, that's not, not great for me. Um, and John Saxon's character leaves and, uh, Nancy's starting to leave and Freddie comes back up through the, through the bed and you see the, um, you see kind of his outline through the sheet and he kind of cuts it and comes out through it. And then you get the, um, then you get Sparkle Freddy. Nancy figures out that, uh, she takes Glenn's advice from what he said. Um, and she turns her back on him and takes away his power. And she decides that she's not only not afraid of him, but she's not afraid of anything anymore. And taking away that fear uh, defeats him. Unfortunately, it's, it's a great idea. I love the concept of it. And I just, the lack of budget, the, um, the lack of, of credible effect at the time, uh, and for what they wanted, it just doesn't work. Um, uh, you get all, he gets all sparkly and, and just kind of dissipates into nothingness and it's just super cheese. Um, it, it, it looks like a Corman level, Roger Corman level effect. Um, it just doesn't work. It didn't work for me then. I laughed at it when the first time I saw it. Um, I just, no, Sparkle Freddy just kind of loses me. Um, so after Sparkle Freddy, she walks out the door and it's the next day. Uh, sun's all bright and shiny. Her friends drive up in Glenn's Cadillac and, um, she tells her mom bye. Her mom says she's going to quit drinking. Um, she runs down the step or down the sidewalk, jumps into the Cadillac um, convertible, and the roof comes up. And the roof has Freddie's striped shirt design. Um, the red and green of, of Freddie's sweater is now the what the top of the car looks like. It locks them in and drives off with them. Um, and you get another effect that does not hold up well. And that's Nancy's mother being pulled through the little window in the door. Ugh. Looks like one of those blow up dolls being sucked through. It's bad. So bad. Um, but then you get a pan over to um, the little girls doing the uh, jumping rope. And it plays the Freddy nursery rhyme. Uh, and again, I know this is a well-known thing, but um, uh, the choice of the Christmas sweater was because um, uh, Wes Craven had read an article about, uh, was reading an article about colorblindness um, and how even non-colorblind people have um, issues separating um, red and green when they're uh, side by side. Um, and to people who, and some people who are overly sensitive to it, not necessarily colorblind uh, on the red-green spectrum or anything, but um, 
some people are really sensitive to those two together and it can actually be painful um uh, for them um i don't know if that includes like you know watching his sweater on tv or whatever but i know if if they were looking at that in real life um that that would be uh painful um it, very uncomfortable at the very least for people who are sensitive to that so um the guy that did the practical effects for it said that um he had looked at a whole bunch of um actual real burn victims um and uh it it had done makeup and done some of the makeup tests um in that style but it didn't pick up well on the camera and was trying to figure out exactly how exactly what he could do to take that and modify it where it would um and he was out to dinner with the family and his they were um they were eating pizza and his six-year-old um had a pepperoni pizza and was dragging the pepperoni around on through the cheese on it and making um kind of making shapes in it um kind of making pulls in the cheese um and that was actually kind of what inspired him to take the the burn makeup and to do a little bit of of applying cheese to it um effectively as far as the look goes um that's where they came up with the design for freddy so that it wasn't a true burn victim look but it was based there on and you could believe that it was um and of course the ending that they gave you um was not the ending that Wes Craven wanted he didn't think that it was um he honestly thought that this was a one and done and that there would never be a sequel and never be a need for a sequel um uh Bob Shea on the other hand said you know it's a horror movie um it's the 80s we've got to have at least somewhat of a uh, of a way to follow it up just in case that it blows up like all the uh like the friday the 13th movies and and other things at the time were doing so they kind of had a bit of an argument about it and um they ended up shooting some stuff and uh they ended up shooting like five different variants of the ending of it which in the editing room everything except for freddie driving the car and everybody else being passengers is what actually was conglomerated into the ending that we got so after they had finished the movie they had it edited they had the um music score added to it which um if you listen to the last episode of, on friday the 13th uh with my good friends jen and christian uh we talked about the score um and how friday built its score um very similarly to halloween and this one kind of took the same thing um but took it back down and minimalized it just a little bit more um and uses disharmonic notes um to add unease to it um so you have a minor scale uh and minor notes and then you have one that's 
a major uh, in in a place where your mind wouldn't necessarily expect that to be um, causing disharm disharmonic notes. Um, and and it is it's an unsettling score. Um, it's really um, if you like that sort of thing, it's really quite nice. And and it's piano music and um, it's very boiled down to um, uh, using basic music theory. Um, so they had the movie in the can, they had everything ready, and they took it around again uh, to all of the major studios, and none of them would, none of them wanted anything to do with it. It was too low budget. It was the concept was too far away from. Uh, what what things that had been a success already, this was something, uh, it didn't fit the mold uh, of those sort of things. So um, New Line decided to, uh, or Bob Shea and uh, his sister Lynn, who played the teacher um, in it, um, in, the, in this movie, um, were the people who owned New Line. Um, and they actually mortgaged the company uh, for another another million dollars, I think it was, um, and distributed it themselves. Um, managed to get it into a um, pretty solid number of theaters for the um, in the beginning. And then... Um, with minimal money left for advertising after that, it it just blew up by word of mouth, and it became uh, a franchise, and it spawned a uh, cultural icon in Freddy. Um, not something most were expecting, including them. Um, so uh, it was Wes Craven's first. Um, mainstream hit um, which kind of um, because what he had done before was was in the horror thriller vein this was a horror thriller um, it blew up and it made him a household name for the most part um, and it kind of plagued him his entire career he never really wanted to make uh, he loved good horror movies. He loved good psychological movies, but it wasn't the only kind of movie he wanted to make. It kind of typecast him. Um, uh, he didn't quite lean into it quite as as much as Robert England did. Um, Robert England fell in love with the idea with with what with the fame that this gave him in this genre, um, and ran with it. He did a few other things. He has done a few other things over the years that were not horror or thrillers. Um, but, you know, anytime you go see a, a, a medium to low budget horror movie, you know, you're never surprised if there's a cameo by Robert England in it. Um, sometimes it's only a few seconds and sometimes it's half the movie. You never know. Um, so, like I said, this one kind of comes kind of fluctuates between three and four for me on it. Um, if I had to rank it right this minute, I would say it was, as of right now, um, I would put it in place three. I would still have TCM 
as my favorite. Friday is number two. Nightmare is number three. And Halloween is number four. Um, and again, that might change tomorrow. You never know. It just depends on what I'm, what kind of mood I'm in with these. Um, but that's going to be kind of our show for tonight. That's kind of my thoughts on this one where I rank it. Um, in its own franchise, this is the only one that I don't put the, the original first. Uh, I do prefer Dream Warriors to this one in this franchise, um, but this one is second. Um, so, you know, um, if you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment and go and give us a rating. Uh, give us a written review on um, any of the any of the ones that'll let you do it. Um, Amazon will. Um, we're on there. Spotify now, so um, iHeartRadio. You can get the podcast there. Uh, listen to it at your leisure. Um, if you're on YouTube, please like, comment, subscribe uh, if you haven't already. Um, let me know what you think of this. Let me know what what things about this movie you love. What things about this movie you think are dated and don't hold up. Um, let me know where this one falls in, in your ranking of the of the big four. Um, and above all, as always, oh, also we have an email address. Um, for those of you on YouTube, it's rolling across the bottom of the screen now. Uh, for those of you that are on pod are listening to this as a podcast, um, feel free to drop me a line. Let me know what you think. Let me know what we can do better. Uh, I've tweaked the audio this week so i'm hoping that there's no fan noise in the background um but the email address for the show is a face the number four horror at yahoo.com so i'm gonna end it here folks thank you so much for taking the time to watch and or listen and as always y'all be good y'all be safe and y'all have a good one